today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. believe as long as the leadership of our country turns us away from the faithfulness of walking in obedience to God, then I believe that we're going to suffer again from that. He says, Zerubbabel, as long as what you're doing, you're leading the people to me, man, I'm going to make you like my signet ring. You're going to be, man, you're going to be the stamp of my approval. Oh, that our nation's leadership would honor God in order that God would continue to bless and bring a blessing upon not only that leader, but also upon the people. But you know what? He can't do it on his own. It really is the beginning work of the church. God honors leaders who honor him, and in turn, the people they lead will experience the blessing of God's presence and guidance. In the same way, when the leaders of a nation reject God, the nation generally follows suit. While faith can't be forced on people, when it's demonstrated in leadership, the people are much more likely to choose it. As Pastor David continues to study the books of Haggai and Zechariah in today's message, you will encounter a real-world example of this truth. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Haggai chapter 2 as he continues his message, Haggai and Zechariah, Restoration and Hope. Again, I look at this and I, I, I believe that what Haggai is speaking or what the Lord is speaking through Haggai here is, again, in reference to that greater glory. I believe that it's directed related, directly to the presence of Jesus in that place, no other thing. Again, we look at this and we understand, man, the Lord doesn't dwell within, in temples made by hands. He dwells in our lives. So let me ask you tonight, how's your temple? Has the glory of the Lord taken up residence within your temple? Or is it just something that you continue trying to work on in your own strength and your own might and your own power? Is your life the creation of man or woman? Or is it really and truly God working and moving in your life and his glory working and moving through you? Yeah, even through the irregularities, we... we, Think of Solomon's temple and just all the beauty and splendor of it. The second temple didn't have that. I, I look at our lives and we're, we're all imperfect. There's imperfections in every one of us. But you know what? The glory of the Lord can still abide within our lives as we open up our lives to him for his glory. As they built, we see again God's handiwork in all of it. And we see that, that in the midst of that, God's promise. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, you are the building of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. 
Haggai's ministry was a short one. It's only two chapters. His, his letter, his, his book is only two chapters long. His ministry was only about three and a half months long. We don't hear much about him before, much about him afterwards, but his words were powerful. And as he closes up his message, he, he once again reminds the priests, he reminds the people, again, to keep themselves unstained from the world and from all of its pollutions. He reminds them that, again, don't, don't forget, the Lord had sent that severe drought on the land because we had been disobedient. They, you know, for 18 years, they stopped work on the temple. He reminds them of that there in the second chapter. He reminds them that, again, that the Lord is still working, and even if they don't fully see or comprehend his blessing at that current time, it will come. Look at chapter 2, verse, verse 19. Verse 19, he, the Lord's speaking to the people uh, again. He says, is the seed still in the barn? And as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless thee. I wanted to stop there where it said the, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, they've not yet yielded fruit. I think sometimes we look at our lives and we think, man, I really don't feel God in my life. I don't, I don't feel his working in my life. I, w- I want to serve God, but I just don't really feel that, 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 that power, that strength, that, again, that, that overflowing work of the Spirit of God in my life. And yet, guys, his, his word promises us that if we seek him, he will be found. If we desire him, he will come to us. Again, even in Revelation, again, you, uh, you open that door. He says, I will come in. I will sup with you. I will have that sweetness of fellowship with you. There's going to be dry times in our lives. I don't know how many of you realize, man, sometimes, uh, you know, there's just darkness and quiet, even when we're following the Lord. Not necessarily because of sin in our life. Man, there's just quietness. The thing that we stand on, the thing that our, our hope is, is, is founded on is, again, the faithfulness of God. It says, hey, but from this day, I will bless you. He says, you know what? You may not see it right now, but you trust me. You continue to walk in me. You continue to commit your life to me, and you're going to see, again, if the very fountains of heaven don't open up and, and bless your life and encourage you and strengthen you. That's the message that we get from Haggai, that even though the people had been not in, not in absolute, they hadn't gone back into wickedness. As a matter of fact, after they came back from exile, they never went back into idol worship ever again. But what they were is they just weren't obedient. God says, you need to be obedient. You need to do what you know you need to do. And if you're faithful to do what you know you need to do. I guarantee you, he says, I will bless you. That's the promise of God for us. That's the message of Haggai. His blessing, he said, would also be upon Zerubbabel, the the governor, the, the king of the land. Look at verse 23. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel. Remember who Zerubbabel was? He was the secular, he was the governor, okay? He says, and again, he says, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, 
and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord. You look at that and you understand that as Zerubbabel led the people to continue to follow the Lord, God was going to bless him. As our nation's leadership call for us as a nation to, again, follow the Lord, I think that's when the blessings of God are going to come back on this nation. And I believe as long as the leadership of our country turns us away from the faithfulness of walking in obedience to God, then I believe that we're going to suffer again from that. He says, Zerubbabel, as long as what you're doing, you're leading the people to me, man, I'm going to make you like my signet ring. You're going to be, man, you're going to be the stamp of my approval. Oh, that our nation's leadership would honor God in order that God would continue to bless and bring a blessing upon not only that leader, but also upon the people. But you know what? He can't do it on his own. It really is the beginning work of the church. Let's look at Zechariah. When we get to the book of Zechariah, we're, we're still dealing with uh, prophetic literature uh, as, as well as a, a, an apocalyptic theme, you know, near the end of time message. And many consider Zechariah actually to be second only to the book of Isaiah as far as the number of prophetic messianic passages that you find in it. It's uh, only 14 chapters long. It's much, much shorter than Isaiah. And yet it's filled with messages really dealing with both the first and the second advent of Christ. The first coming of Christ as well as the second coming of Christ. And according to the dating that's actually given by Zechariah himself, he wrote chapters Uh, 1 through 8, around 519 BC, uh, and that was prior to the building of the second temple. And then actually, it was some 40 years later, after the temple, after that second temple was built, that he finished up and he wrote chapters 9 through 14. And it's interesting, Zechariah himself dates the book precisely as to the year, the month, and the day. Look, look right at the uh, beginning. He says that it was in the eighth month, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to me. Well, again, they can look back historically and find out exactly when that was. The purpose of Zechariah's message, again, to the people, was to bring encouragement to those that had returned to Israel, very similar to what Haggai had did prior that those first eight chapters before the building of the second temple. He, he wrote to encourage them, again, to continue doing uh, the reason why they were there. Because the people at that point in time, as we read in Ezra, and as we touched on a little earlier when we looked there in Haggai, they they were under this constant attack of the non-Jews that that lived there in the area. And again, whenever our testimony, whenever our walk with the Lord is under constant attack, let's just face it, it's really easy to back off. Amen? Or is it just me? Okay. We we know that, man, man, when it just gets tough. And I was talking to a young guy this last Tuesday. He says, I literally am the only Christian in this portion of the organization where I'm working at. He says, it is so anti-Christ where I'm at that people literally verbally poke fun at me. And he says, I used to have my hair a little bit longer, and they would call me Jesus. Jesus. 
And catch this. He says we were, a group of us were at the pool one day and they had some squirt guns. And one of the guys was taking a squirt gun and shooting me with the squirt gun. And he says, I've always wanted to kill Jesus. Now, how bad is the persecution you have where you work or live? And this guy wants to stand for Christ and he wants to bring others to Christ. And yet that's the kind of stuff that he's faced with every day. The Jews that were trying to rebuild the temple, the reason they stopped, yeah, they they complained to the, the, the king of Persia, but for 18 years, they did not again begin it until Haggai came, until Zechariah came. Again, their strength, their, their, their spirit, all of that had just been worn down in their weariness. They had wandered away in their lives from, from being obedient to the things of the Lord. They needed to have revival within their lives. They needed to come back into a life of obedience. And I guarantee you, it, it wasn't just the fact that they weren't building on the temple. I believe that it impacted every area of their lives. As a matter of fact, in chapters one through eight, Zechariah records some visions that he has. And again, he encouraged the people to, again, reinstate the priesthood. They'd even let that go down. And the other religious laws that were forgotten about during their 70-year exile, they just walked away from so much. No longer a temple, so we can't have the sacrifices. And so much of their religious life had been done away with or stopped or, or just drifted off. And again, Zechariah gives them hope and encouragement. He tells him, listen, the Messiah is coming. The one who we know now today, Jesus Christ is coming. He is going to set up his throne. He's going to set up his uh, rule. He's going to be the branch. He's going to be the high priest. And he's going to be the one that offers that perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. In chapter six, we'll get there in a moment, but In chapter six, he says, then say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is. He will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus, he will be a priest on his throne and the council of peace will be between the two offices of priest and king. He's gonna be both priest and king. Joshua was the priest. Zerubbabel, he was the governor. Neither one of them fit that. So what Zechariah is giving us here is a prophetic declaration of Christ who became for us both priest and king, but he also became that sacrifice, the very sacrifice that he would make for our own sin. In chapter one here in Zechariah, the Lord's anger toward Israel uh, and the rebuke, again, of their fathers. Uh, Zachari- again, they haven't started restarted building yet. Zechariah and uh, um, Haggai, again, coming at as contemporaries of each other. Look at Zechariah chapter one, verse three. He says, therefore say to them, thus says the Lord, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. It gets back to what we said about Haggai. 
What a blessing is ours that the Lord is long-suffering, the Lord is patient. He says, you know what? If you will repent and come back to me, I will come back to you. And guys, that's the promise that he has given through the ages, through the millennia. Why? Because even as we looked at this last Sunday, the Lord is not desiring that any would perish. The Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants us to repent. And his promise is, you repent and I'll return. Well, the Lord gives him visions. And we're not gonna go deep into the visions and all tonight just because of time. But again, just kind of give you a, a little touch, a little taste of them here in chapter one, beginning verses seven through 17. Uh, the, the, this group of angels that are mounted on horseback that he speaks about. This appears to be or seems to be a, a, a peacekeeping force. It's pretty much God's assurance to the people that he is in control over all things and that he will restore the ability for them to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. The second vision he has is still in chapter one, verses 18 through 21. The vision of four horns and then four carpenters or blacksmiths, depending upon your version. And whenever you see the the word horn mentioned in scripture, it speaks of strength or it speaks of power. And when we look at this, it seems as though these four horns very possibly, they, they represent the nations, actually is what it tells us, the nations that have come against Israel. Now, that most likely was Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, and now the, the Medo-Persians. And it speaks of these carpenters, again, coming in to, to destroy those horns. Now, whether that is uh, um, the angel of the Lord to destroy and bringing down, even as we know, the scripture tells us that the Lord raises up and, and brings down princes and kings. So again, how the Lord would do that. The third vision that we have actually found in chapter two, verses one through five, and that's the vision of the surveyors and the measuring line. Uh, he says he's going to measure Jerusalem to see what its width and what its length is. And there was the angel, verse three tells us, who talked with me going out and another angel was coming out to meet me, who said to him, run and speak to this young man saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of the men and the livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her and I will be the glory of her midst. What he's speaking there is, my blessing is gonna be on Jerusalem so great is that you won't be able to have a wall to surround it because of the multitude of the people. But I myself, the Lord says, I'll be a fire, I'll be your wall, I'll be your protection around you. Again, just the promise of the Lord and the blessings that he's going to bring to them. The fourth vision that he has is the the vision of, again, the Joshua's cleansing and and covering. In chapter three, uh, he says, he, he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, standing at his right hand to oppose him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Joshua, and remember Joshua was the high priest at that point in time. Joshua was standing there. He was in, in, in filthy garments and he was standing before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, 
take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. They put a clean turban on his head. On one hand, we see again, the cleansing power of of the Lord in people's lives. We see the cleansing power of the Lord for the priests for service. But in the greater picture, we actually see the the coming of Messiah, that that great high priest, and how he will cleanse our lives. In there, down in verse 10, he speaks of that, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and his fig tree, speaking about the peace that's going to come because there's gonna come a a, a branch at that point in time. Back up to verse eight, I skipped that portion there. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you. For they are, they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I engrave its inscription. Those seven eyes, again, that speaks of the, 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 the seeing, the understanding, the, the all-knowing of God. He says, I'm gonna remove the iniquity of that land in one day. And isn't that really what he did on that day on Calvary when Christ was crucified? Again, through that payment, that allowed for the iniquity to be taken away. I I love what he says in verse 10, though. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. That's a, a, a Hebrewism for a time of peace. It's just a time of peace. Come and let's just sit and rest. Guess what I've got in my backyard? a fig tree, and grapevines. I'm waiting for my fig tree to grow big enough for me to sit under it. It's not quite there yet, but uh, I figure once it gets there, maybe that's the time of peace we're all looking for. Uh, that, w- that would be wonderful if by then the Lord comes again. Hey, the, the, the next vision, vision, the fifth vision, is actually found in chapter four, and that's the vision of this golden lampstand fueled by this uh, olive oil that's coming from these two trees. And again, just real quickly, that declares, again, the faithfulness of God to supply all that's required in our service and in our honor and in our worship to him. Uh, there in verse six, he answered and said to him, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not us being able to do it, but it's the Lord empowering us by his spirit. The sixth vision, chapter five, the vision of this flying scroll. And again, this is a, the curse or the, the, the judgment of God on all those that are gonna walk in disobedience or in rebellion. Verse, uh, in in uh, chapter seven, there's another strange uh, vision that he has of a, a basket and a woman and a lead covering and two other women with uh, uh, wings like storks that come and take. No, there's no doubt about this, that that woman there actually symbolizes wickedness. The interesting thing is, is they fly her off to make her base actually in Shinar. And Shinar is actually uh, the, the land of Babylon that, that we know now. Now that really fits very closely with, again, the, the, the whole idea of what we see in Revelation, the woman that rides a beast, you know, all these kinds of things, how these things dovetail together. Open 
Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.